Hey guys, thanks for watching online. We are honored that you chose to give us this time. We have people watching from all over the world. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, please come and be a part of one of our local campuses because your experience with church shouldn't end online. It should just begin there or be a supplement to being involved in a local community. So come uh, be a part of one of our local campuses. And, and if you live outside of our area, please contact us. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us. Uh, we will be glad to do some research where you live and find a good healthy church to recommend to you to plug into because we want you to be involved in a community. So we hope these messages bless you. Uh, let us know if we can help you in any way. Uh, God bless you again. Thanks for watching and I look forward to seeing you really soon. Take your Bibles, open up to the book of Romans, and go over to the book of Romans chapter 13. Last week, we started a brand new series called The Inversion Law. And when we're talking about inversion law, what we are literally talking about is we as believers living a life that is radically different from what we have seen in the world and what it is that the world calls us and tries to push us into. We're living a life that is inverted to what we see culturally. From the scripture, you see that all throughout. Jesus said, if, if you want to be first, you must be last. If you want to be great, you must be a servant of all. If you want to gain your life, then you must die to this life. If you want to, if you want to have treasure in heaven, then you want to give here generously. That is what the inverse life is all about. And that's what we're calling you to, that inversion law is so important for us. In that way, we would call that the Christ-centered life. It's pointing, pointing to people who are not a part of us what it means to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. Last week when we began this uh, new series, we were in Romans 13 looking at the first seven verses. And then there we found out and we saw that as Christians who are following the inversion law, we don't cheat our taxes. We pay our taxes. We don't lash out at our enemies. We love them. We don't stress the financial burdens of the world. Uh, we trust God and we give very generously. If the person that we voted for, the candidate that we voted for, didn't win, uh, we don't curse the wind. We pray for those that we didn't vote for. This is what the inversion law is all about. We, again, this would be called the Christ-centered life. As a believer, our lives are no longer about me, me, me. It's about how do I die to myself? How is it that I die to myself so that I can present to the world a picture of who Jesus is and that I would rightly be able to live as brothers and sisters in the body? And so as we've been walking through Romans, specifically here even after Romans 11, Romans 12 and 13, here's some of the things that Paul's been telling us. He's been saying this to us, that we're to be living sacrifices. We're to lay our body upon the altar, offering ourselves to God first and foremost that I need to die to my way and my desires and that I need to be putting Christ on. Paul continues that thought with us today as we start reading in verse eight. And our bottom line today is this, is that from darkness to 
to light because as a follower of Christ, as someone who says that we are following the inverse law, the law of inversion, a, a law that says, listen, we do things upside down of the rest of the world. We have to be walking as children of light in a dark place because we have been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So with that, let's start reading here in verse eight. Verse eight says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the, law, for, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Now, did you notice what he says here? He says, owe no one anything. So what is it that he's trying to say? Does he really mean that we are to owe no man anything? Some people have taken this verse to mean, listen, Christians can't borrow anything. You can't borrow money. You can't borrow a rake from your kids or your, from your neighbor. You can't borrow a dollar from your kids to go get you a latte. Of course, that's not even going to get close. That won't even get you a, a small cup of coffee today. You can't borrow anything. Is that what this means, what Paul is saying here? Personally, I don't think that's what Paul is trying to explain here in verse 8. And then the reason I don't is even last week in verse 7, when we were reading there, verse 7 told us in this same chapter that we're to pay to all what is owed them. Pay to all what is owed them. Now listen, there is still great financial wisdom as it relates to money and the types of debt that we ought to be involved in. But this passage doesn't mean this passage doesn't mean that you can't borrow. Uh, what it is telling us, though, I believe, as a principle, is that if you are borrowing, you need to borrow only what you can pay back. And when you pay it back, you need to do it on time. Uh, this principle is talking to us about very clearly living within our means. And living within our means means that we don't stretch ourselves so that we can no longer be generous towards God. You see, the Bible commands us that we should be generous towards God, not withholding our tithe, not withholding uh, generosity to those who are in need, not withholding offerings when they are needed. And I want you to hear this. There are people all across this room today and that will be on this campus who are strapped so tightly financially. And I want you to know that we care about that piece of your life also. Well, here's what we know. Some of the, the two top causes or leading indicators of divorce are sex and money. And we want to, that's one of the reasons that we just went through God, love, and sex, because we want to help you understand how to rightly live in, those er in that area. Today, I want to encourage you, would you go back to the, to the uh, Discover Life Point booth? It's out the doors and to the left. There's a big, huge desk out there. We have financial classes, financial peace, good sense. We have a, a, a business administrator that we would love for you to be able to talk to who comes, he does financial counseling. He, he's not a financial counselor, but he can help you see very good principles. Uh, he does this often. We want to help you in this area of your life. But notice in here in verse eight, there is a debt though that we will never be able to fully pay back. There is a debt here. And this is what he says. He says, listen, you'll never be able to pay off the debt, the debt of love that we have to others. All right. The debt of love is so important. You'll never reach the place as a believer where you say, I've, I've got this figured out. 
You're never going to grow enough as a follower of Jesus to where you think, okay, I've got it. I don't need to love anymore. No, listen, no matter how long you're a follower of Christ, no matter how much you're in the word, no matter how much you're learning, there is still room for us to grow in our love of others. Because after all, love is the crux. It is the centerpiece of the Christian life. Jesus said that the world will know us by our love, how we love one another. The, um, the 18th century uh, pastor, Jonathan Edwards, he, he wrote that the evidences of love or their absences, the absence of love, were the best test by which a Christian may try their experience to see whether it is a real Christian experience or not. Folks, that speaks very heavily to us. How we love the brothers, how we love the sisters, how we even extend the love of Christ to those who do not know him. It says the world will know us by that. In fact, Edwards is only echoing 1 John. 1 John says this, says that saying that the love of others and the love of the brothers is evidence of a saved heart. John chapter one goes as far to say, is if you say you have love, but you have hate in your heart, you're a liar and the truth does not reside in you. Folks, those are strong words. Do you realize that we have a debt of love that we will never fully repay, yet we are to be, we need to be walking in love as it relates one to another. As family as brothers and sisters, extending love and extending grace. And I'm thankful that love doesn't always mean an emotional thing. It means doing for others what is best for them, putting them above me. So very important. The foundation of loving others must always be the love that we found and discovered in knowing Jesus Christ. Listen, when we try to love other people, not out of the love of God, the love of Christ, that's called moralism. That's, that's mistakenly thinking this, that if I love people rightly, then I will be right with God. There is nothing that makes you and me right with God except our standing with Jesus Christ and surrendering our life to him because of his substitutionary death on the cross on behalf of my sins and your sins. Listen, we can't love enough people to be right with God. Here's what the inverse law says at work though. And I want you to catch this. We love others because we love God and because he loved us first. First John goes on to tell us this, is that we only love because he first loved us. Our love of others, it, it won't save us. There's nothing we can do like that that will make us right before God. And we've got to begin to understand that, but that does not remove our responsibility. Though loving people won't make us right with God, we love people because I am right with God. Because he has set his love on me, then I must be a person who is loving. Romans chapter 13, verses nine and 10. Look with me again, let's keep reading here. He says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in, the, uh, up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to, to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling 
of the law. Paul pulls out the Ten Commandments now as an example, and he wants us to begin to see them. He wants to begin to use this as his exhibit A on us. And he's showing us here what love doesn't do. Love does no harm to people. It does no harm to our neighbors. In fact, he goes on to to really help us try to see and to point out to us that adultery is committed out of a false sense of love. Adultery really is a false sense of love that we begin to express to someone else who's not our spouse. And in reality, it's not love at all. We don't love them. We're not loving our spouse by committing adultery. In fact, what it is, is it's a selfish love. It's a love of self and self-gratification that my needs aren't being met. And I'm going to go find someone to fulfill me. Folks, then he goes on and he, and he starts pointing out there and he says, listen, murder does harm. Stealing does harm. Coveting does harm. All of these are a false sense of love over others. Then Paul gives us his reasoning for including the Ten Commandments when he says this. Look, in verse 10, he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. He says, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Uh, love certainly does a whole lot more than just keeping the law. But I want you to hear this and not harming people. It, it does a lot more, but it at least does no less than that. What Paul is doing and pointing the Romans to here, what he's helping them to remember are the words of Jesus. In Matthew 22, Jesus was quizzed. He was trying to be put on the spot by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the ruling leaders. And they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he turned that around and he said that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He quoting Deuteronomy chapter six, I believe verse five, right in that area. And then he goes on and he says, and the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. He says that the law and the prophets are summed up in this. So what Paul is saying here is this. When he says in verse 10, he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling all of the law. You see, he's pointing and doing the exact same thing that Jesus told told the Pharisees, that love, 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 love. How are they gonna know us? They're gonna know us by our love. Let me ask you something. If I were to come to your home, and begin to interview your family, if I were to go next door to your neighbor, if I were to step into your workplace, would the word love come up in the first three or four uh, descriptors of you by your family, by your workplace? How about by your neighbors who have the barking dog all night long? What, what would that, how would we be described when Jesus tells us, when the scripture tells us, when Paul tells us that they will know that we are his followers by how we love one another? What a challenging word this is for me, especially even when you think about how it comes on the heels of what we talked about last week in our relationship, in our relationship to those uh, and God, I mean, God and government. And you think about those who you may have differences with. You may be on different sides of the aisle, different sides of the pew, yet do, they, do we love them? Do we pray for them? Do we still, or do we divide along partisan lines? 
Folks, this is a strong word for us as the community and as the body. Read with me verse 11, though, in Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 11 says this. Besides this, listen, he says, okay, you need to love the Ten Commandments. Here's my evidence. Uh, Love does no harm to the neighbor. He says, but besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe, than when we first believe. You see, our lives should be radically different. Listen, our lives should be radically different from those who do not know Christ. This is what it means to live in the inversion law. Our lives should be so different compared to the world that it should be as different as a, as a man who is asleep versus a man who is awake. Why? Because you sleep in the darkness. Those people who are awake are walking in light. You have been moved from darkness to light as a follower of Christ. So therefore our lives must reflect this. What, again, what is it that Romans has taught us? So far Romans has taught us this, that we present our bodies as living sacrifices, that we're not to be conformed to the world, but we are need to be transformed, made different by the renewing of our mind. Paul then gives the motivation for this. And he says this, because listen, you, you know the time. You and I know the time in which we live today. Now, some of you may be thinking, now, uh, like me, listen, every day, somewhere around 1130, my body lets me know what time it is. You can tell. It lets me know that it is lunchtime. I'm hungry. Is that the kind of thing that he's talking about right there? About our body's going to let us know something? No, he's not talking about that. What he's talking about is the imminent return. And I want you to catch this. The imminent Today, he could come back. There used to be a, uh, uh, a man who worked at a church I worked at formerly. He was, our, he was our maintenance and custodian guy. His name was Jim. Every morning, without fail, I would get to the office. Jim would already have been there, but he would come by somewhere between 8 and 8.30, depending on what's going on. He would knock on my door and he would just open the door and he'd look in and say, this could be the day. And he'd walk away and he'd open the door and then he'd come back the next day. This could be the day. That was a man who was living under the impression that the return of Christ is imminent. And Paul says, listen, based on that fact, we don't have time for all these other things. We need to be loving the people of God. We need to be loving each other. We need to be loving the people so that they will begin to understand who Jesus Christ is. Now in there, Paul begins to use several metaphors, descriptors to make his point. And he says this, unbelievers, they're sleeping. And he says, they're walking in darkness of light. Therefore, believers, listen, uh, it intimates to us that we should be walking in the light, not in the darkness, that we ought to be awake and alert, being ready for what it is that is about to come to us. He says, listen, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. I want you to hear, this is a word of hope to us. This should be a word of hope to us. 
For all of us, listen, I want you to hear this. If you follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you realize you've been justified? You've been made right. You are free of your sin, made just as if you had never sinned before. There is now no condemnation, Romans 8, 1 says to us. We have, there's no condemnation. My guilt is no longer held against me. That is incredible to know. That's what our salvation about is all about. But I want you to catch this. Our salvation is also so much more. Yes, my salvation has been secured because I've surrendered my life to him. But I am also living out my salvation. Did you realize that even today, we, there are people, me, you, even in this room, we are groaning. We're groaning. Oh, you may not hear it, but inside, we're, we're longing, even as followers of Christ, we're longing to, to get this body of flesh that is holding us back gone. Salvation is being done with sinning. Salvation is about being done with depression. Salvation is about being done with addictions. Salvation is about looking into the scripture and only being able to see our savior through a mirror dimly, the scripture says. You know what real salvation is? Is one day, one day, one day, seeing Jesus Christ face to face. That's salvation. And did you realize that there is a day coming, there is a day coming when we are gonna see him face to face. And so many of us, we are fearful of death. But I want you to hear me. Death is a part of the process of one day your sanctification being complete and you getting to see Jesus and that groaning being done and our salvation being complete in him. Woo! Break off a spot here and preach a minute. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Romans 3.12, look with me for just a second. It says this. It says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. What Paul's beginning to do here is he's trying again to continue to contrast this dark and light movement. Have you ever tried uh, to get up in the middle of the night and uh, accomplish some things without turning on the lights? I remember when I was a younger guy. My, my kids were small and, uh, I, you know, you're trying to get around because you don't want to wake up anybody in the house. And for some reason, little kids, they hear everything. It's like, whoop, I hear it. And so you don't turn on the lights and you try to find the wall. You finally get to the wall after you get a huge bruise on your leg because you hit the end of something. You're walking along the edge of the wall and all of a sudden you step on one of your kids' Legos. And all of us know this, Legos grow death spikes in the middle of the night, don't they? And all of a sudden you're letting out a, listen, that is a picture of what it's like as a follower of Christ or as a non-follower of Christ who is still trying to walk the way of the world. You are walking and stumbling in darkness. You're walking and stumbling in darkness. And those who don't follow Christ, they don't even realize that. We begin to know it because there's the Holy Spirit who resides in us and he's convicting us of those things. Yet we still try to do that. Listen, it's crucial for us to keep in mind. The world will always sell itself as being enlightened, as bright and progressive. And it will always try to make us as followers feel like that we're stupid and backwards. But I want you to know this. 
the world's wrong. The world's wrong. The, the mold that they try to squeeze us into is wrong. You see, the world says that if you believe in moral absolutes, you're from the dark ages. The world will tell you that if you believe in an ancient book that has Hebrew principles in it and customs that talks about a man who said he was the son of God, sinless, who was crucified and rose again, and you believe in that, you think that has relevance for life today? Well, you're crazy. Listen, but the Bible says the inverse. The Bible tells us that the world is in dark when it comes to God. The Bible seems to be, uh, the, the Bible is very, very ignorant to them. They look at it and they don't see it. You see, the world is also in dark when it, it concerning man. The world says this, is that we're all born basically good, but we also know this, the, wor- the Bible tells us that there is none righteous. No one is good. But today we've been moved from dark to light as followers. The world is in the dark when it comes to the purpose of living. See, the world tells us this, that you need to accumulate a lot of stuff. You need to make all the money that you can. Yet the inverse law says this, the inversion law tells us this. No, you give today generously, store it up in heaven, send it on ahead. Don't live off of it today, give freely so that God might be glorified. You see, the world is in the darkness when it comes to death and eternity. See, the world thinks that the default place for every person is heaven. When we know that the scripture says, no, the default place for everyone is hell until Jesus Christ intersects his life with ours and we surrender and submit to him. The 18th century pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a Welsh pastor. He said this, excuse me, he's a 20th 20th century, century pastor. He says, the world wouldn't go on living as it does for one second if it knew something about the judgment that was to come. Listen, we've all walked in darkness until Jesus rescued us and saved us. God, he awoken us. We turned from our unbelief and we ran to him. We gave our lives to Jesus. And now then he's given us an armor. It says an armor of light. And the reason that I think God used or or Paul used the picture of armor is he's giving us a picture of weaponry because we are at war. For us to be awake, walking around, we're at war, the scripture begins to tell us. You see, you've already passed from darkness to light. You've already transferred from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of Christ. That means 2 Corinthians 5.17, that you are a new creation, a new creature. You didn't get a refurbished heart. You got a brand new heart. He took your heart of stone out and placed a heart of flesh in that began to pump immediately. Now then, what remains for us is that we need to dress like a follower of Christ, put on the armor. We need to begin to live like it. We need to begin to fight like that. While so many of us are still walking around in the darkness, holding onto the wall, groping around, not realizing you've been brought from darkness to light. You've been brought from darkness to light. Listen, in the world today, everywhere you turn, there is a weapon of darkness that is pointed at your head, 
and at your heart. It's attacking your emotions. It's attacking your will. It's attacking your mind. And I want you to know, this is a different kind of warfare. See, you're out on the news today. You turn on the news and there are talks of war everywhere. But I want you to know the type of war that we're talking about is a spiritual war. And the weapons that we're talking about that we utilize with the armor of light happen to be Bible, prayer, dependence on the body together. You see, we're in a battle. The armor for us is aimed at helping to keep us awake. The scripture says then that, the, that what ends up happening, the armor of the enemy or the attack of the enemy is to make us to be asleep, to lull us to sleep. And so often, so, so often what ends up happening is our enemy today in Western culture uses our entertainment culture to do that. You see, it's so easy for us to fail to recognize the ploys and the schemes of Satan because he wants to rock us to sleep. C.S. Lewis talks about it in the screw tape letters when, he, when, when, when the old demon is talking to the, to the young demon. He says, listen, listen, if we can just get them to understand that, man, there's their sense of time. There's no need to be urgent. And I want you to know here we are today. We're living in a time that is urgent because you know the time. The return of Christ is imminent. We must be awake and alive. Yet what do we do so often? We go in, men, we plop down in the chair on the couch. We grab the clicker and we begin just to click, click, click. We may find whatever the show is and we go into oblivion until it's time to get up and go to bed. Ladies, students, what do we do a lot of times? You end up a free moment. Scroll, scroll, scroll. You grab the computer and you punch in your password for Netflix and we're just gonna watch the same series of shows over again and over again or we're gonna catch the next newest documentary. You see, and what ends up happening is we end up getting lulled to sleep and the enemy says, listen, don't worry about them. They're off the radar. We, as followers of Christ, we've been given the armor of light. We've been given weapons to be able to battle Part of those weapons are the word, our prayer, uh, the, the avenue of love to those that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. Verses 13 and 14 say this. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Listen, how do we put on the armor of God and be awake for the battle? The scripture says that we make no provision. We make no provision for the flesh. You make sure and you check it out. See the word provision here in the text is literally the word forethought. It means that we're walking around in darkness. We're not giving any forethought to what may be there. We're not giving any forethought and planning to protecting ourselves. We're not giving any forethought to the word of God. We're allowing ourselves, as James taught, to be driven about, tossed about like a wave on the sea. When we, as followers of Christ, who have been moved from darkness to light, we must give forethought 
to where we're going, where we set our feet, what we're casting our mind upon, what we're allowing our mind to begin to think on. You see, you got to be careful about those things because all of these things, Romans 12, be, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be put into the inverse law of the world. You, you want to be in the, in the law of God. So how does that happen? By the transforming of your mind. Guys, that is all about the word of God. When you begin to allow the word of God to infiltrate and take over your mind. Listen, uh, there's an old saying. Many of you may have heard this. Maybe, I don't know, I heard it in East Texas. So uh, East Texas and East Tennessee are very closely connected relationally. Maybe, maybe you've heard this before. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. Some of you are looking at me like, dude, you're crazy. Well, the principle here is this. You know what? There are going to be thoughts that jump into your mind, but the question is, is do you let them begin to linger there? And do you begin to roll them around in those types of things? You see, the principle is this, is that we have to guard our minds. We have to begin to guard our hearts. We have to begin to take the word of God and plant it into our, into our life so that we can begin to replace the thoughts that the enemy begins to bring to us. And we do battle with the word of God against the, the, the enemy. You see, his word is our sword, the scripture says. And we have to begin to plant it into our lives. So what ends up happening a lot of times is this. I'll have people who will come into the office and we begin to talk. And one of the things they begin to say is this, is that, man, I, my, my, my walk with Christ, it's stale. You know, I, I, I used to be on fire. I used to like to do this and do that, but I'm not connected anywhere. In fact, my, my walk is dying. My home life is dying. It's not, and, and I always try to go back. My, one of my very first questions is always this. Tell me about when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And we walk through that as to whether or not they truly have. If they have surrendered their life to Christ, my second question is this. Hey, what, what, what are you reading right now in the Word? Where are you in the word? Typically. Well, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, 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 I've not read in a long time. So tell me about this. Tell me about your prayer life. Do you pray? Uh, no, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not praying. So are you connected anywhere in the body? Are you part of a group? Are you can, no, no. See, guys, listen, this is a person who has fallen for the lie. They are walking in darkness. As those of us who follow Jesus Christ, we've been given armor of light and we walk differently. And the first thing is, is that we get into the word of God to say no and to resist, to say no and to resist the schemes of the, of the evil one. You've got to begin to plant his word because this is part of our armor of light. This is the sword of the spirit that we've been given. You see, remembering his word, meditating on his word, recounting the promises of God matter in the battle that we've been put in. Remembering his word, practicing it, meditating, memorizing helps us then to then turn and love others the way that we should be about loving them. Listen, I am thankful, thankful, thankful. I am so thankful that you have a quiet time. I am so thankful that we attempt to spend 10 to 15 minutes a day maybe with others, with, with the Lord. But that would never work in my house if I only spent 10 to 15 minutes talking to Amy each day. 
that would not work. And let's say I miss a day or two of talking to her. And then our communication begins. Our relationship would be so far off. And yet we've entrusted our life, our eternal destiny, and we can't spend time with him. We can't keep the word near us. Now, some of you right now, you're already maybe, some of you thinking, dude, are you getting legalistic? No, I'm not. I want you to hear this. What I am getting though is to the crux of who do we love the most? Who do we love the most? And these are questions I have to deal with in my own life. Hey, tell me about the last passage of scripture you read. Hey, tell me about the verse that you've been studying. Hey, tell me about, and I, I, wow, I, I'm not certain. Hey, tell me about your fantasy football team and you can rattle off every injury. You can rattle off every type of uh, stat. You know who they're playing next week. You remember this. Tell me about, you, you, but you, you could tell me about the bachelor and the bachelorette and what they do. And folks, listen, at some point, if we are going to have the armor of light and walk from darkness to light, we have to take up the sword and begin to allow it to change us. You see, when you have on the armor of light, it becomes your weaponry. It becomes your weaponry. And it's hard for the works of the darkness to stick to you. Listen, hard for the works of darkness to stick to you when you're swinging the sword of the spirit at it. You cannot set, when you're in your down moments, and you're wanting to run to pornography. You're wanting to run to alcohol. You're wanting to run to miss other person. When you're wanting to just veg out. Listen, it's in those moments where you are weak that you must grab up the word of God. Because I want to tell you this. You can't sit and watch pornography while you're praying. You cannot do it. Because the spirit who is in you is greater than the he that is in the world that he that is in the world. Folks, we have been moved from darkness to light. This morning, if you're a follower of Christ, I wanna give you an action point, specifically to you who are followers of Christ. I'm gonna ask you, would you mind this week, today, writing down Psalm 101, two and three. Psalm 101, two and three putting it somewhere where you would begin to memorize it, where you can begin to meditate on it. And here's what I want you to hear me. What I'm not talking about is that you start today trying to memorize. What I'm asking you to do today is to begin to read it and meditate on it. And as you begin to read on it and meditate on it, you will begin to see it'll start going deeper and deeper and deeper. Do we have Psalm 101, two and three? The psalmist says this, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh when, will, oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of my heart within, uh, within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the works of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Folks, this talks about all the things that we've been talking about. This is putting on the armor. It, it is hiding God's word in your heart that you might not sin against you. Because you see, people who have moved from darkness to light, these are the things that we do. This is what normal warfare in the Christian walk begins to look like. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones, the one I spoke of just a moment ago, he said this, I don't think people would stay the same if they understood, if they understood the coming judgment. Folks, I want you to hear me. If you are not a follower of Christ today, there is a day, not based on what I say, but based on what the word of God says, that if you die, you would spend a real long time, eternity, in a place that is separated from God in a real place called hell. That's not a place of fiction. It is a reality. The scripture teaches that it is a place that is, it, 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 the fires never die. Thirst is never quenched. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The scripture says that the worm continues to eat. It's in total darkness. And that is on and on and you're never devoured. Folks, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, our plea, my plea with you today is do not leave here without coming to talk to us. We want you to know Jesus Christ. We want you to move from darkness to light. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. We would ask today that you not leave. Today, you say, man, I don't know if I wanna come back to you. I want you to hear me. Then today before you leave, I'm gonna ask, would you pray and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I submit my life to you. God, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. I am turning away from what I used to do and I am following you today. It is so very important to us because you see, eternity hangs in the balance. Today, he's calling some of you. The question is, is will you respond? He is opening eyes and hearts all across this room. Will you respond? Yet some today will say no. Father, we magnify you. We honor only you and we ask that you God, may you have been lifted up today. Jesus, I thank you for the privilege that you give us to have your word. I thank you for the privilege that you give us to be able to open your word. God, I thank you today that you've moved us from darkness to light. And God, please, please, Father, would you save men and women today? Would you open their eyes? Would you give them courage to respond God, today as followers of Christ, may we put on that armor. May we quit wandering around in darkness, groping at things, Father. May we be alert and be awake because we know that you're coming. Your son is coming soon and we trust that. May we love people. May we not use people, but may we love them. Help us to die to ourselves. Help us to put you first. May our lives be attractive to those who do not know your son, Jesus. Today, Jesus, we've attempted to lift you high. You have been magnified. You are our only hope. We trust in you. We know that you are coming. Holy Spirit, now will you do your work in this room and draw men and women Boys and girls, will you point them to Jesus as you said you would? For it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen.